So as some or many of you may know, in Buddhism there's this idea of nirvana that's in the Sanskrit language or in the Pali language called nibbana. Nirvana is a more uh, well-known term. And that's traditionally kind of the goal of Buddhism. You know, you get this enlightenment and you've realized or reached or attained nirvana, whatever that is. We're not going to try and say what's nirvana or anything, but that's kind of this idea uh, in Buddhism. Um, I was recently talking with someone who said to me that uh, she did not um, believe any of that stuff, believe in nirvana or also traditionally in Buddhism, there's all kinds of, uh, you know, they have the whole cosmology and that the Buddha talked about and views about multiple lifetimes, for example, and that depending on your karma, you know, we're born and die and get reborn in all different kinds of in the human realm and in heaven realms, there's hells. They, they've just got everything in there. Um, and I would say probably for most of us or perhaps all of us, you know, we don't have any direct experience to know whether that's true or not. So whatever we think about it, it's just a belief we have, I would guess, for most of us. So, uh, there are people who've claimed through their practices to be able to have some direct experience of some of these things. But um, I don't know anyone personally, including uh, the teachers that I've worked with who I respect their practice tremendously and have had many years of practice who, who make such claims. And if any of you have any of the direct experience, um, I would love to talk with you um, offline. I think it would be interesting. But I think for most of us, all that stuff's just kind of a belief. And you may believe some, of the, some or all of that, or you may not. So this person was saying she didn't believe any of that stuff. Was that okay? And, of course, it is okay. And I think um, um, I'll bet that if we, we won't have time. Actually, at the end, if any of you want to share, you're welcome to. But uh, we won't go around. But I bet if we went around the room here in a group this size, it'd be a range of beliefs that people have. Some may really fully be, some of you might not even be familiar with all those different things I just mentioned. That's fine. The Buddha himself um, said, you don't have to believe any of that stuff. But it's true. (laughs) That's what he said. And, And he claimed to have direct experience. and He was talking from direct experience. Now, the reason I bring this up is um, um, for myself, I realized from talking with this person, I hadn't really reflected on it much before, but I don't think in terms of nirvana at all. Never even comes up in my mind. It's just not part of my my thinking or, or my view or my outlook at all. Kind of as a Buddhist teacher, I don't know if I guess it's okay to say that, but uh, that's just how it is for me. I'm not saying it's true or not true, or it's, it's just not part of my, it's not what I'm, I'm interested in. Um, and I'll bet if we go around the room, this is what I was going to say earlier, is that, you know, there may be people here who do think in terms of enlightenment or maybe familiar with some of the classic traditional ways that the the goal of the path is talked about and may that might be something that's enlightenment or nirvana may be something that's part of your thought process or on your mind. That's fine for others. And I'll bet a substantial number of people here, you're not really thinking like that, I'll bet. And there'll be a range of views. Um, For myself, uh, even though I'm not thinking in terms of nirvana, What I'm signed up for uh, in my Dharma life or my Dharma practice is living my life in a way that's as wise and skillful as possible. And what I mean by that is what I'm interested in myself and very interested in, even though I have no interest in nirvana. Maybe I do have it, but it's just not part of my consciousness is what I'm saying. But what I have a lot of interest in is uh, becoming as... Um, 
and I'll throw some words out. And part of what I want to do is talk about what I mean by some of these to live in a way that's as free as possible, as awake as possible. You might say as liberated or as enlightened as possible in a way in which my heart um, is open in loving kindness and compassion as much as I can to be as mindfully as aware as I can. All of these different qualities. That's something I'm very much engaged in. Right. So we might ask, well, what does that mean to be? And I threw out the word uh, free. So that's a big question. What does that mean to be free? It may have a lot of different connotations for some of us. What does it mean to be awake? Aren't we all awake? I don't see anybody sleeping here. So you may say, well, I'm, I'm awake. What does that mean to be awake? Uh, I'm going to come back. Well, I'll just say a little something now. It's a little diversion and I'll come back to my main point. Um, sometimes um, people, mm, for various reasons, uh, think it's a good idea to try and be as mindful as possible in their daily life as much as they can. and might take that on as a practice. And if you've ever tried to do that, what you may notice has happened is you go, OK, I'm going to be mindful. And then, uh, OK, so let's see, I'm driving the car. I'll, I'll feel my hands on the steering wheel. I want to be present and awake, we might say, in the present moment. When I'm talking on the telephone, I want to know I'm talking on the telephone. If I'm taking a shower, I want to be mindful, whatever, eating. And then what you'll find is you'll be mindful for you might get a few seconds in or if you're lucky, 30 seconds, then you're gone for half the day. And then you kind of wake up. You weren't asleep, but in a sense, we say you wake up, you come back and you realize I was on automatic pilot. You weren't unconscious. You weren't asleep, but you were just caught up in things. You were, you know, you were what I call being on automatic pilot. You were aware, but it was a different kind of awareness. And then you kind of pop out of it and you're actually more present. You're more awake in the moment. Right. You, you see the difference here. Right. There's an example of where we can look at to be a little more awake in our lives, for example. And there's a whole lot of other ways we can talk about it. Well, why is it a good idea to be to live in a way that's more awake as opposed to being on automatic pilot? And by the way, it's no judgment against anyone for being on automatic pilot. You're not doing anything wrong. It's kind of how it is to be a human being. Right. You can't stop it. If you could, you'd get more than 10 seconds or 30 seconds before you space out for half a day. Because it's kind of the way that we're conditioned as human beings. So it's not a judgment on anyone. It's more just an acknowledgement of how it is. Not necessarily a problem, except for just one thing. When uh, we're on automatic pilot and we're living and acting and interacting in life, Whatever happens to us, whatever comes to us, whatever situations we're dealing with, um, when we're kind of lost and caught in, we just respond or react out of the habitual conditioning of our mind. Right? Might not be a problem. Just depends on how our minds are conditioned or habituated in a given situation. Right? Problem is, we don't have any freedom or choice in those times. It's just a reacting back. That's the whole problem when we're not as awake. As we start to do different practices, uh, we'll say more over the coming weeks about how the meditation practice in particular, but any kind of Dharma practice. Dharma practice isn't just sitting in a formal meditation. There can be many, many styles of what I will call Dharma practice. Many types of practices we may do ways we might practice. But one of the things that happens as we start to strengthen our mindfulness and start to learn to be more, get a little concentration, hopefully, and learn to be more steady, stable, learn to quiet down, not be jumping all over the place, and be more present and more awake, there's actually two things that start to happen. One is that in those moments, in every moment, Rather than just be automatically reacting, we're more aware there's some space in the moment and we can actually start to have some freedom and choice. 
So one of the, so I can give many, many examples. I mentioned uh, we're doing some work bringing some mindfulness into some of the schools. So one of the things we teach the kids, for example, is, you know, kids are often getting into trouble on the playground, right? Somebody says something, they react back, and you may get a fight or an argument. There's just stuff like that happens all the time. Well, as they learn to start to be a little more awake, we start to have them, we do some exercises. You know, imagine somebody comes up to you and says something that's not very nice. Just kind of, just imagine that. How do you feel? I'm mad, I'm angry. Okay. How do you act? And they kind of think about how they might react or react. Then we'll say, okay, now imagine you're on the playground. Somebody comes up and says something to you. Maybe it's not so nice. Or you're about to go up and say something to someone that's not so nice. Notice how that makes you feel. Oh, yeah, that doesn't feel so good. See, they start to be more awake. Oh, I don't know if I want to act in that way. Okay. So as you start to strengthen your mindfulness when you're on the playground... Um, can you see the difference there between just somebody happens and you react back versus you just being mindfully aware of what's going on in you and then maybe have some choice in the moment on how you're going to act or react. Right? And so we can all look in our own lives and see many examples of that. Of that right? So that's one way where we start to get some more freedom right there. It's not this, it doesn't have to be this big nirvana or, you know, this enlightenment that maybe, you know, we might think that's for, you know, somebody who's been up in a cave for 20 years or something, whatever it is, that, whatever enlightenment is, or some image we might have of it. And a matter of fact, that's the really good news. You don't have to have nirvana or be enlightened to see real fruit from these practices, even from the beginning. And, of course, it just starts to deepen and, and grow. Right? Even a little bit of mindfulness and a little bit of, of, I'll use the word composure, if you will. Sometimes we say concentration. And these are just what we, what we are working on and developing. Even a little bit can start to just get a little wedge in there, a little space between some input that comes into us and our instant react, reactivity. It doesn't mean we won't get caught a thousand times. I'll come back to that, because we are. We don't have to get it perfect. But we can start to get a little more space, a little more freedom, right? That's one thing. We start to be able to make some choices. The second thing that starts to happen is as we're more awake, not only do we get some space and less reactivity and, and more aware in the moment, but we actually start to see more of what's going on in ourselves on a, more and more deeply, and because of that, we start to become aware of a lot of the forces that are at work in us that we may or may not have had so much awareness about before. Right? And all of us will have a certain amount of self-awareness. I'm sure everybody in this room does. And probably most or all of us have maybe have a lot. And there will be the parts in ourselves that we don't see, our blind spots. And, of course, by definition, you can't see your blind spots. So, again, I'm not saying that having blind spots is a problem. We've all got them. But think what we're doing in, at least in, in the way we practice in, in our scene here. You know, we close our eyes. could have your eyes open. We start to strengthen our mindfulness through whatever practice you're doing. Maybe strengthen our concentration together. And we're, we're turning that strength of mind inward to look into our own minds and bodies. So naturally, we're going to see more and more and more. And through that, a lot of the forces uh, or energies in us or patterns in us that we hadn't necessarily seen or been aware of start to be revealed more. So in addition to having more freedom and space and choice, the the impulses in us start to kind of self-liberate in a way just by bringing the awareness and seeing. And and so... um, they aren't at work on us as much. So another benefit that comes is even the times when we then do fall back to be on automatic pilot, we're less reactive. We're just more cooled out and chilled out. And we're, we're, we're not, those energies aren't there. So the natural, unconscious, habitual way we tend to respond gets us in less trouble, if I can say it that way. That's the thing that starts to happen. So these are some of the things where I think I'm just kind of proposing, I think, I'd just like to suggest that it may be a good idea to start to 
live in a way that's more free because these are some ideas or examples of what it is to be free. And there's and, and there's it goes on and on and on in a lot more levels. So I'm assuming that uh, here we are at a insight meditation center. So everybody came here. You know, we're not out at the, I don't know, like the Redwood City Bowling League or, or and there's nothing wrong with that. That would have been fine. You know, it's kind of fun to go. I haven't done that in years to go bowling. I'm not, I'm not knocking bowling. But I'm saying if we did that, it would be about a particular thing. And you'd be wor- thinking about, you know, how can I like, is my release on the ball right? And how's the, how many, what's my score and all that stuff. Here, everybody's here. You are here and it's a center and it's a practice a group tonight about a particular thing. So I'm assuming everybody here is um, bought into the idea of that these Dharma kind of teachings and practices and this way of living might be a a good idea. Uh, Even if you're kind of new at it and have, and and, and are sitting here one, you know, when you sit here meditating and, you're not getting any mindfulness and no concentration. You're just wondering when the damn bell's going to ring because I can't make it much longer, you know, if that was your experience. That's okay. You're not supposed to be any good at it when you start. That's another good news, right? That's one of the places we create a lot of suffering. You know, we come in to meditate and we sit down and it's like, you know, if you were like, I don't know, if you wanted to learn to I'm just I don't know, play, shoot pool, Right? I've, you know, I, I enjoy it. I don't have any skill at all. I'm no good at it. But, you know, if I got frustrated because I couldn't aim and I just couldn't do it the first time I went, what do I expect? Right. I haven't practiced. I haven't done it. I, I, I don't I don't expect myself to be further along in it than I am. And I know, you know, if I wanted to get good, I'm going to have to put some time in. But, you know, one of the things that happens often, I don't know what it is about meditation. We get so frustrated because we think we're going to come in here and sit down and say, okay, I'm going to get concentrated. I'm going to go into these meditative states I keep hearing about. They really sound great, and we're not getting into that tonight, but they are great. They're really great, right? There's actually can be a trap because one of the things that can happen is, is that we're doing a practice that's, that's on a very fundamental level about uh, freeing ourselves from from craving and clinging, and of course the meditative states become another object of clinging, and then we end up creating more suffering along the path, supposed to lead us to the end of suffering. And um, so, but something about we come to meditate and we sit down. But you know, if we could just see, you know what? Oh yeah, it's okay. I'm not any good at this. Well, I've never done it before. You know what? I don't actually have to be any good at it, huh? It's very freeing. So. Um, and then we, then we, that's what we're working on. And it does grow even in, listen, however much you might judge your own mind, you can't be as bad of a case as I was. I'd be happy to talk with you offline about it. And you know what? That's more good news. You don't have to be, you can really do a lot. I've got a few years under my belt. And... Um, um, you know what? Everyone can um, learn to be more mindful. You don't have to do anything. It just happens through these practices, right? Everyone can learn to, to quiet their minds down some. Yeah, even you. It can, I'm telling you, just trust me on this. It really can happen. Everyone can um, um, grow in love. Everyone can free up from the really deep-rooted, difficult patterns that are so deeply conditioned in us that we have no belief that we can ever get free from it. Oh, no, I couldn't get free from this place in myself. But you can. And you don't have to, you can't even see it at work. Because in whatever way we direct our minds, that's what gets strengthened in us. Right? It's just the way the mind works. It's the way the patterns get strengthened. So if we've always tended to be go in a certain direction or pattern or way of being, it just keeps strengthening that habit of our minds. And as we start to change directions, it's the image that's often that's used, which I love, is you know they have those big oil tankers that are like 
I don't know, whatever it is, you know, three football fields long. And, you know, they say when you want to turn, you have to start. You can't. It takes a long time to get the thing to go around. I don't know, 15 minutes, half an hour, three hours, whatever it is. It's got so much momentum going in a certain direction. You turn the steering wheel and then sometimes later it slowly starts coming around. Right. But even that little bit in the beginning is doing its work, doing its work and moving it around. It's the same thing for us. Think how long in your own life, wherever it is that's where you bump up against or it's difficult, that you've been living in that same way your whole life. Doing the same patterns that we keep bumping up the same things. That's been, it's really been, you haven't done anything wrong. This isn't judgment here. It's just, we all have this. We're human beings. So, you shouldn't, ex- you should expect that it's going to be, if you've ever tried to change any habit, it's not so easy in the beginning. But with time, um, it can really change and gets a lot easier. So in the same way, we sit down, we start to meditate. We may not be good at it unless you happen to be a prodigy. And there may be a few out there. But for most people, um, you know, it can always have its challenges. But especially in the beginning when we haven't developed much mindfulness and concentration, we haven't tasted what can happen when you start to do it. You know, it's hard. Just in the time when we really need to be, you know, really hanging in there with it, it can be hard. So, you know, that is one of the challenges where we need a lot of support. That's one of the reasons people come into groups like this. It's hard to do on your own, you know. But we can, and I know that there are some people here, I know some of you are new, and I happen to know for a fact that there are people here who are long-time practitioners and who really taste it for themselves and know what might be possible and how things can really change. So, all of this, and you don't have to be thinking about enlightenment or nirvana or multiple lifetimes or the cosmology or the belief systems. We can just bring it right back to, and really this is what the Buddha was always pointing to. You know, one of the, the Buddha was pointing to bringing it back to what's happening in the moment. Because ultimately all you have is, you know, it's this cliche, but these cliches are cliches because they're true. Right. So I'm going to say one of the cliches right now. There's only the present moment. Right. So there's just how do I think and speak and act in the present moment? That's it. It's very down to earth. The Buddha taught down to earth. Teachings and practices that we can get our hands around and wrap our minds around. They were very practical. And not so much about metaphysics or belief systems and all that other stuff that, and actually that stuff is in Buddhism too. It's all there and it can be really interesting. I think it's kind of fun to read about it and study and different schools of Buddhism have different beliefs. And like we were talking about Lama Surya Das, he's in one of the, uh, in Tibetan Buddhism, there's these four major schools of those. He's in one of those schools. And he's a, so he's a Tibetan guy. He's American, but he practices a Tibetan. If you went and hang out, hung out with him, That'll be a, it'll it'll be a whole different thing. So you know, there's all the, the Zen people. You know, you can go hang out with all these different views and beliefs. It's all good stuff. But ultimately, what it's coming down to is what are we doing here, moment by moment? In the moments when we're on automatic pilot, then you're just caught up and going along. But if we can just start to use the few moments we have when we are awake, that's all you have to do. So when you come in here to meditate. Uh, often the instruction is, um, you know, you say there's many ways you might be practicing. But, for example, if you're using, say, the breath meditation, either exclusively with the breath or maybe at least giving breath um, a lot of preference, say. There may be other ways you're practicing, which are fine, too. But just as an example. So you get a few breaths. Okay, I got one, breath, two, three. Ten minutes later, oh, I was supposed to be with the breath. You come back. Maybe you don't actually get very many mindful breaths in a half hour sit. But it turns out, and this is just really, it's, I don't know why, it's just the way things are. That's all you need to be able to get. It doesn't matter how much of the time you were not on automatic pilot and were awake and free and present. 
It's just, even if it's a few moments, using those times when you are, when you have come back, if you use those well, even if it's only 1% of the time, um, it does the trick. And it starts to build. And the reason it's especially good news is um, if that wasn't true, we'd be in big trouble because you can't stop yourself from going on automatic pilot because when it happens, you don't even know you're on automatic pilot, right? When you're meditating and we say stay with the breath, when you go away, it's no problem. You don't even know you've been gone until you wake up in that moment, right? You don't even know. You're just busy thinking about this and that, and you're just off in it. And then, oh, and you wake up. Now, what do I do in that moment? If I get in a struggle, if I beat myself up, which many people do, and if you are doing that, don't beat yourself up because you beat yourself up. That's where you need some compassion for yourself to know, you know, boy, I'm really hard on myself. So we'll get into that in a little bit on the compassion piece. I'm going to come back to that. And the kind of people who would beat themselves up, which is many of us here, I'm going to guess uh, roughly a third of us, uh, just statistically, I would say. So you're not alone. There's another third of us who are um, uh, maybe could use to crack the whip on ourselves a little bit occasionally. And then there's another third that we don't need to get into. I'm just making up numbers. But, you know, when say a third or half of us can really be rough on ourselves. Well, that kind of mind is going to tend to be rough on yourself even because you're rough on yourself. right? It'll just find anything to beat you up about. It's just looking for something to land on. So don't be so hard on yourself. You know, you do the best you can. That's all we do the best we can. All you have to do is the best you can. So, um, this goes back to the original point I was making is, I would invite you to reflect in your own life, and you might take a moment here and just think about, you know, what's important to you in your life? What's it all about? What's your life about? What do you want your life to be about? And you may, you may not get... A set answer. It's like, well, gee, I don't know, you know, a lot of things. You may get a set answer. But I'm guessing for, for me, anyway, as I said earlier, and I'm just going to repeat, for me, what my life's about many things, but on the deepest level that I can touch into, it's like, how can I live in a way that's as awake as possible, as free as I can be? as mindful as I can be, as aware as I can be, as really I'll say as enlightened as I can be, as loving as I can be, as compassionate as I can be. And, and in that sense, I want to take that as free from clinging as I can be. I want to take that as far as I can. So I don't want to say, oh, well, I'll stop here. I can be a little, I'm free enough from clinging. Right? So I don't want to get stressed out about it. But I would just say, to the extent I can and as aware as I can be, I want to take it as far as I can. By doing that, you're doing everything that the Buddha taught. Then all the enlightenment, the nirvana, everything, that can take care of itself. And you may or may not have it as a goal. It's fine. I'm not saying if you have it to throw it away. I'm saying it's if you, don't, you don't have to create it if you don't have it. Now, If you're signed up for, um, okay, I think that's a good idea to be as free as I can be and loving and compassionate and awake as I can be and as lightened as I can be. Let's just say that that seems like a good idea. Then what comes down to, okay, what do I do? And that's where all of us, I'm including me, everyone here in the room, even though there's no one in the room, some people here I've known for you know, varying amounts of times. There's a few in here I've known for a long time. There's nobody in here I know very well. But I'm confident to say this is true for all of us. We need help. In some way, areas of our lives, we won't necessarily need help because, you know, we're, we've, we can see what needs to be done. It's pretty clear. But we all have certain areas where um, we could use some guidance. Right? If we didn't need any guidance, you'd already be. You wouldn't have the areas where you'd be getting caught in your life, right? Or bumping up, bumping your head against the same wall over and over. You wouldn't. 
That's why, at least in our tradition, and there's many, many great traditions out there, so it doesn't have to be this one alone, but I'm just speaking from our tradition. Um, you know, there are teachings on some guidance that can help us, especially as things start to get subtler. Sometimes it's often hard to see the places when we're, where we're getting caught and trapped. So um, that's what a lot, really all that we're doing here then is talking about what is known as skillful means. What are the things we can do to help us be more awake and more free? So most of the talks you'll tend to get in a place like this will be, tend to be pretty practical kind of talks. You know, dealing with this situation or that situation and everything. So the next couple of weeks, I want to say a little more and then we can open it up for some discussion. But because um, I'm not getting that specific today, but I want to talk about uh, really then, which is all we're ever talking about, applied Dharma. Right. How do we take these teachings and actually apply them and use them? You know, is it possible to really come to, you know, not just as an idea, but actually as lived and experienced a very deep, maybe a say profound level of freedom in the midst of just given who we are. That you don't have to be somebody else. You don't have to be better at it than you already are. You don't have to be more free than you already are. I mean, it's, it's literally true. It's good news. You don't have to go live in a cave for 20 years. I don't think there's many people who do that, but there have been people who've done that. Right? You can just have your life, and that's what we work with. So how do I work with what I've got? So that's, uh, and how do I work with it in what way? In a way that's using each moment the best we can when we're awake and can remember. How can we set up supporting conditions in our lives to help us be awake and remember more of the time? One way, so we can start. One of the ways that we do that is, um, like if you come to a group like this, and you know some people will come here and they really connect, and there's a lot of nice people in this community, and um, different teachers come through. You may connect with some more than others, and you know you find kind of who you connect with, and maybe some people, oh, I kind of like that scene, and maybe you hang around in groups or other groups. Or other people aren't that group oriented and maybe it's, you know, you get books or tapes or you, whatever you do. That's one thing we do is to get support. Find what supports us. So if you're always going down, this image just popped in my head and so I'm kind of apologizing ahead of time. So I realize it might trigger some people, just, but I'm going to just use it. Uh, I don't want to get in trouble here. So if all you're doing is hanging out with your buddies at the bar each night after work, Well, that'll be a certain kind of uh, habit that's strengthened in your mind. You'll be around certain kinds of people, whatever they are. You'll be doing certain kind of things, you know, drinking and carousing and doing everything. And that'll, that'll be that. You know, it may not be, just using that example, but I, I don't know, I could pick many, many examples. But it, it, if, if that's just this example, that may not be what uh, supports us to move in the directions on this deeper level that we want to go. And then we might say, you know, maybe on Thursday night or Monday night, I might go down to IMC and hang out there. Or, oh, there's this church I like, or I don't know, whatever you do. You know, this is AA meeting I like to go to. So you start to make some shifts. Getting a different kind of support, for example. So I want to talk, I'm going to be talking, um, we got a little specific tonight, but... Um, you're already doing a lot of it, by the way. I mean, just the fact that you would come to a group and meditate, even if it was your first time, even if you showed up here because some friend said, hey, you want to go check out this meditation group? And you're saying, well, meditation, what's that? And the friend said, I don't know. Let's just go check it out. And you said, oh, yeah, it sounds interesting. Even if that's what brought you here tonight, that's okay. Something in you felt, you know what, meditation, huh? What? Maybe that might be interesting. Something drew you. Right? 
that's a little bud. It may be more than a bud. It may be a whole mighty tree or it might be a, a flood rather than a trickle. But that um, is something to pay attention to. That's a real a sincere intention or motivation that you have, even if you don't fully understand it. I just want to say one more thing tonight. And that is, um, traditionally in Buddhism, all these practices we do that are part of what strengthen and support us, say, for example, most people think of the formal meditation, which I do want to encourage people on, and it's a big deal. Um, but... Um, and also not so easy to do for many of us in our daily lives. You know, we've got our jobs or our lives and everything. And we'll, we'll get into that in the next couple of weeks. But So don't beat yourself up if you think you should be meditating more and you're just not able to get yourself to do it in your daily life and you're frustrated. There's a lot of support that can be got around to help that. But just to start by acknowledging, you know, this is hard to do in daily life. So that's one thing I just want to say. But say we're... Um, uh, meditating or doing all these other practices, traditionally it's, thought, it's taught to be built upon a foundation of what's called in Pali language, sila, S-I-L-A, sila, which just means morality or virtue, generally taught as five precepts, which many of you heard. And it's kind of the training precepts of how we live our lives, even before we start meditating or anything, around just living in a way that's wise and skillful and kind non-harming, non-stealing, wise and skillful around sexuality. You know, we all know how sexuality can, a lot of suffering can be created around that. Uh, Using our speech in a way that's wise and skillful, careful around intoxicants. It's just how we live our lives kind of is considered the, the foundation. Again, we don't have to be perfect at it, but we start to take it on as a practice. And then built on that foundation is all these other practices. I want to propose, and I've done this here before, but um, I think it's so important, actually a lower foundation even before the, the morality. This is not uh, the Buddha. This is just me speaking. So this is not kind of official Buddhist Dharma teaching. I think the foundation is uh, self-compassion as the starting point. Uh, we can say a lot more about that and maybe we'll have a chance. But really, um, self-compassion for for many things, for the fact that um, we all have um, our own sufferings in our lives. And hopefully we, it's not all suffering and hopefully we have happiness and joy. And, you know, life is both. For some of us, it'll be more of one than the other. And we've all had suffering and hopefully we've all had some joy and happiness at least sometime in our lives. I hope that's true for everyone. And depending on what's going on in your life now, you may be having a lot of one or another. But to know that we all know suffering, we all have suffering. Many of us in this room may be dealing with, struggling with a lot now. Given that that's part of the human condition, we need a lot of compassion. Given the fact that even when we're sincerely trying and make our best effort, we're going to screw it up a thousand times and fall flat on our face. Because by definition, until we're Buddhas ourselves, if I can say it that way, by definition, the mind's not completely freed from what's called greed, hatred, and delusion. There's places in the mind where we get caught still. You're not doing anything wrong. You're a human being. Guess what? You're not a Buddha yet. You're not doing anything wrong. That's how it is if you're not a Buddha. So, you know, just welcome to the club. (laughs) You've got a lot of company, but we need a lot of compassion because it does create a lot of suffering. This is what we're trying to free ourselves up from more and more. We need a lot of compassion because even when we come to do this practice, it's often uh, we're so hard on ourselves. And we're really, really trying and it's not easy. So I think starting from that place, even though we're, we're, it doesn't mean being complacent with the, with the places we want to clean out in ourselves or we don't try or make effort or, or really know we want to move into a different direction. It doesn't mean we say, well, this is just who I am and I'm compassionate and I don't have to change or work on myself. No, I'm not saying that. But we start with a place that's rather than out of aversion to ourselves, 
and being hard on ourselves and beating ourselves up and creating a stress, we start in a place that just acknowledges how we are, acknowledges the suffering, acknowledges we're doing the best we can. And even if you don't think you're doing the best you can, you say, oh, you know, I could do more, but I'm so lazy. Well, if you could do more, you'd be doing more. You're doing the best you can. By definition. So we acknowledge that. And then, yes, we want to keep moving forward in a way that's skillful. So we need to start with that self-compassion. And then from there, yes, let's take on these practices of virtue, morality, and mindfulness training, and opening our hearts in love and compassion, all that kind of stuff. Um, Okay, so um, I'll stop now. And we have um, a few minutes. If anybody, if you have any questions, it's fine. Or comments would be fine. I found out uh, recently that since I've been meditating for about six months on a daily basis, that I've been getting um, a little bit of depression. Of? Depression. Depression, yes. So is that normal? Um, Well... I mean, I don't, it's not, there's not, it's not normal or not normal, but let me just say this. I'm just going to put out a, I don't, since I don't know you, I don't know what's going on. So it may or may not be related to the meditation practice. I just don't know the answer. But, um, so that would be something that, of course, I would encourage, you know, what people, people work with, whether it's a mild depression or a strong, really deep depression, you know, finding what you need to support yourself and everything. So I, that's a whole discussion there. But one of the things in general that can happen related to the uh, meditation practice, I'm not saying this is what I'm about to say. I, I have no idea if this is happening for you. But since you asked, you, you seem to ask the question in a way to imply that it, you thought it might be connected with the practice. One of the things that can happen is that... Um, this is a purification practice. One of the things that can happen is we're doing practice so we learn to, to be more peaceful. You know, there's a lot of these beautiful qualities that can come through meditation. We can feel kind of blissful and peaceful and calm and clear and awake and mindful and all that stuff can happen. The other thing that goes along with it that's very important to be aware of is you can start to, it's like some things are kind of covered over sometimes in life because we're just busy and we just, and when we stop and we're not distracted anymore and we're just faced with ourselves, things that are in there, we've all got our own versions of things, start to be revealed. So, again, I want to be really clear that I don't have any idea what's going on with you, but certainly it can happen that some things can start to reveal themselves, if we will, or come to the surface that can be challenging and it can take a lot of forms. And so we need to have the tools then to be able to work with them. And those tools take a lot of forms. One of them is if it's within the realm where we can work, we can bring the mindfulness to it and bring, just bringing the awareness to what's going on. And then oftentimes, along with the meditation, it can be useful, depending on what's going on, that perhaps we, we need some therapy to help us or, or support groups or I don't know. It can take many forms. So is that helpful? I mean... Yes, it's mild. It's just, uh, yeah. I think it's what you're, what you're saying. Yeah, and it may be, again, uh, when things like that happen, it may just be that it happens we're going through a phase in life where there's some things going on that are, you know, where it's yeah. understandable that we'd be feeling some depression and it's, uh, it's really, we can identify what's going on in our lives sometimes and other times we may not be able to point to anything and it's just something more uh, inner. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's not that anything's going, uh, I'm not saying that it's anything's going wrong necessarily yes, either. Yeah. It's just that I'm not used to being calm. Ah. It's like <laughs> not used to being calm. And then I don't, know, I don't know what to do now that I'm calm, I guess that's why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's it. <laughs> thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, first, I'd like to say, say I'm thankful and honored and grateful for your, your words uh, and that uh, that equanimity or acceptance that leads to the serenity through the practice that you were speaking of, mm. which I choose to call being healthy. Mm. 
through the practice. Um, you know, it's funny. Um, I have these moments like when I'm working, you know, I, I, I work and then I breathe. I work and I breathe. You know, I'm, I'm moving a ladder. I'm pushing a brush. I'm moving a tarp or you know, whatever, you know, and the type of craft that I do, work, trade that I do. And I use my, my work as meditation, you know, and being mindful of it and stuff. And it's real helpful. But what I got from you was uh, being underreactive and overreactive and then being in the middle, proactive, you know, where you're, you're awake in the moment and you're not judgmental about what happens in, in so much that it has some resolution and closure to it yeah. that's conducive and skillful in a manner of living in the day-to-day life yeah. of the practical world. And um, and even though I have experienced that, and I do experience it all the time, there's still that touch of, of reactivity that you spoke of yeah. where um, you might, I'm not going to call it lose it, but um, there's that energy. Yeah. Okay, where it's heightened in the end. Um, but the mind, my mind, was telling me, well, what's the end result? Where's where? What closure do I want? Yeah. And that's like being more mature or right-sized yeah. and decent, you know. And, and and that's an awakened state to me. That's yeah. an enlightened state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I appreciate me. that. And um, I appreciate you, you you mentioning that because it's my contention that we are all enlightened. We just haven't learned how to use it. Yeah. Well, you know, that's fine. And um, what I, yeah, so I appreciate what you're saying. And actually, one thing in particular that you pointed to, which um, in the beginning that I just want to pick up on here, you, when you start off, you talked about sometimes like an overreacting. I think you used the word overreacting or underreacting in a middle place. Um, you know, finding the balance. It's not a place where we live, I think. There are times where, where you can get into places in the mind and the heart where you really are living out of the place of balance. It definitely can happen. And... There's plenty of times when, um, and the analogy I've heard, and some of you may have heard this too, of uh, where sometimes the airline pilots say, you know, they're flying across the country and they're only on course like whatever. I don't remember the percentage, but whatever. One percent of the time and the rest of it, they're always making little adjustments. And, And it's only a little bit of the time where they're actually exactly on course. And I view it the same way is that, you know, uh, the way I like to think of it is if, if I know I want to head north, I don't have to be facing exactly north all the time, but I want to make sure at least I'm not facing south. <laughs> but once I basically get around and I'm heading north, then I'm kind of moving them in the right direction. And the further I get, you know, you see more, you're more aware, you're more tuned in, you learn the terrain, you get used to the map, and then you're more and more on target more and more of the time. And it just gets more refined. So as long as we're basically heading in the right direction, and it's just like you're exactly, I really appreciate what you're talking about, as long as we can start to be more aware, even when we're off. I mean, there's a lot to learn there. You know, actually, in some ways, it may be that we can learn more when we're off than we're on, because what can happen is definitely in the meditation, you can get these meditative states. And I mean, you're just... You're in the zone, if I can say it's, you know, if you haven't touched some of these states, it's hard to know. But it's like and and it's great. And we'd like to live there all the time. But we and we think, wow, this is enlightenment or whatever. Of course, what's happened is we don't see the potential seeds that that have yet to sprout because there's nothing triggering them off. But once we get off, um, um I'm going to talk more about this next week, some specific things in my own life where, you know, things sometimes get revealed that hadn't been seen. And we get to, and rather than it's like, oh, my God, what's wrong with me? It's like, oh, I really get to see another place, which if it's in there, I'd rather see it than not see it, that that where I get caught, where I'm off balance or where I'm caught up in things. And then uh, shifting our relationship where we can start to use those uh, as part of our growing point. Too. So anyway, I appreciate that. So let's end with, actually there's two things I'd like to do to end with tonight. Uh, We'll end with a little uh, dedication of merit. 
and I'll explain what that is if you don't know. But uh, to start, um, we've just got five minutes left, so we don't have a lot of time. Um, to begin with, I would invite you to, um, hopefully people are in uh, reasonably comfortable postures. Some, sometimes our bodies don't allow us to be very comfortable, but as comfortable as your body will let you get, let's just say. Um, if you're in a lot of pain or something, feel free to make a shift. And then what I would invite is um, what can often happen in talks or discussions is our awareness can go out of ourselves. It may not be happening with you, but it can go out into the room or out into the concepts. And if that is happened, if that has happened, just letting your awareness connect back using the body, just connecting into your body, really just checking out, feeling into bringing your mindfulness right into the body. And also um, into the mind and the states of the heart, emotions, just, just checking your whole sense of being here now. Just checking in with yourself. And just notice what's here, what's present. It may be pleasant or unpleasant, but just whatever's going on. And then to notice also, I would invite you to notice how you're being with or how you're holding your experience. Can there be that that self-compassion if you're having a difficult time? That sense of letting yourself be some sense of acceptance without making a struggle with your experience. You know, doing the best you can. Sometimes it's not so easy. And if there is some place in you that's caught in some struggle or within your experience, you're really not able to relax into it, then bring some acceptance for that place in you. And then also, I would invite you to reflect that you, we've all used our time wisely together this evening. We talked earlier that, you know, you could have been anywhere, but you chose to spend your time meditating. um, You know, reflecting on these Dharma topics. Um, So uh, you've used your your time wisely. So just reflect on that. And to know that any time we spend time in this way, cultivating these wholesome, we'll call them wholesome qualities of the mind and the heart, that it's of great benefit to ourselves and to others. And so we can offer up um, what's called the sharing or dedication of merit. If there's been any good qualities or wholesome qualities or goodness or merit that's been generated or obtained by our time together this evening, Let us offer it up. May it be for the benefit and liberation of all beings. And so it can be like a wish or an intention or a prayer or a thought. May all beings everywhere be happy and peaceful. And may all beings everywhere come to an end of suffering. So thank you all very much for your practice this evening. Uh, Perhaps I'll see some of you next week.